Grace, mercy, and peace to you from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, the only true righteous one. Amen. If there's one thing that we learn from the Bible, and particularly from the epistle lesson today from St. Paul's letter to the Romans, it's this. Mankind is not in control. We're in control of some things, of course, but we're certainly we are not in control when we consider how insignificant we are in comparison to the size and the power and the problems in the universe around us. And it goes well beyond that. In the end, though, we are comforted by knowing that God is in control. We are comforted knowing that God knows what is best for each and every one of us. We are thankful that God does what is best for each and every one of us. Chiefly, we are thankful that God has made to each and every one of us a promise, a guarantee. God guarantees our inheritance. The Lord reminds us, using Abraham as an example, that because of faith, our inheritance is guaranteed. Paul describes it this way in another one of his letters, that of 2 Corinthians. Now it is God who makes both us and you stand firm in Christ. He anointed us, set His seal of ownership on us, and put His Spirit in our hearts as a deposit, guaranteeing what is to come. That guarantee God has made for each one of us and to each one of us. God guarantees our inheritance, an inheritance that we as people cannot earn with our own righteousness, an inheritance that God instead provides through the righteousness of Christ. We recognize Abraham as a great man of faith, partly because of all the things that happened in his life, but mostly because Scripture calls him that. And just what did Abraham learn about justification and faith? When we look at the life of Abraham, we discover that God made many promises to him. And God kept all of those promises. Think, for example, of the time that Abraham was directed to sacrifice his long-promised son, Isaac. God told Abraham even though he didn't take long anything else to be the sacrifice, that God would provide the sacrifice. Abraham went. He built the altar. He had the wood to start the fire. And as he was drawing his knife to kill his son, God intervened. Abraham learned then that when the Lord stops you, when you put your faith and your complete trust in God, God will always do what He says. God always did, God always would, and God always could do, just as He has promised. Abraham believed, not as a work, but because of the faith that God had given to him. If Abraham was justified by works, then he would have had something to boast about, but not before God. 
Scripture describes many of the things that Abraham did in obedience to God's commands and God's promises. And because of these, some might say, look at all the things Abraham did to save himself. And if Abraham felt that way too, then he might boast about how he had saved himself. But that boasting would have done no good before God. Abraham, however, knew that it was God who saved him. Scripture says, Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. It wasn't what Abraham had done. It was what God had done for him that saved Abraham. It wasn't Abraham's righteousness that saved him. But it was the righteousness of God. Abraham could have kept all of the laws and that still would not have saved him. That's clear from the opening verse of this passage from our epistle today. It was not through the law that Abraham and his offspring received the promise that he would be the heir of the world, but through the righteousness that comes by faith. For if those who live by law are heirs, faith has no value and the promise is worthless because law brings wrath. Remember, Paul was trying to remind these believers that the law could not save them, that their own works could not save them. The law was able only to show them their sin. The law did not show them their Savior. Since time began, though, and through the time that Paul wrote these words to the believers, and even in our time and until the very end, that simple message does not change. The law still condemns. The law cannot save us. It simply shows us our sins. Today, people seem to have a tendency to want to avoid the law or to feel that they are somehow above the law. We see it very clearly in our society, don't we? Many feel that if they only break certain rules or regulations, it's not as bad as breaking some of those big rules like murder or stealing or adultery. Yet what does Scripture tell us? It says that the law condemns us no matter the sin. In the book of James we are told, for whoever keeps the whole law and yet stumbles at just one point is guilty of breaking all of it. So, if we ever have one bad thought or say one bad word or do one bad thing, it makes no difference. Sin is still sin and we are guilty of breaking all God's commands. So, the law in our own righteousness cannot guarantee an inheritance for us for the simple reason that we cannot keep all of God's law. We are going to break it, probably sooner rather than later. The fact is, sin is all around us, and we live in sin. It's described for us in Isaiah. All of us have become like one who is unclean, and all our righteous acts are like filthy rags. We all shrivel, shrivel up like a leaf, and like the wind, our sins sweep us away. Isaiah reminds us that even those things that we might think are good and right before God are still tainted with sin. They are like filthy rags. So our sins stack up. 
They stand against us and they sweep us away like the wind. Our righteousness cannot earn heaven because on this side of heaven, all of our righteousness is still stained by sin. So what does that mean? This simply means that we cannot save ourselves. We can't try hard enough. We can't live well enough. We can't purchase heaven with all of the wealth in the world. We are told the price of eternal inheritance. In the Psalms, God points out, no man can redeem the life of another or give to God a ransom for him. The ransom for a life is costly. No payment is ever enough that he should live on forever and not see decay. You and I can never believe for someone else. You and I cannot give up our life that someone else might be saved eternally. That price, that ransom, to be bought back from death, from sin, and from the devil, that price is just too steep for any of us. But we are able to rejoice that the price has been paid for us through the one man, Jesus. But we ordinary mortals cannot pay the price. But we still praise God because our inheritance is guaranteed by God, not through our own efforts or our own righteousness, but by the perfect righteousness of Christ, which is given to us. That is what Abraham believed, even though Abraham never saw the incarnate Christ during his earthly lifetime. Yet Abraham looked ahead to the promise that God had made as far back as Adam and Eve. He looked ahead to the promise that God had made that there would be a Savior. And Abraham believed God's promises. He didn't work for them. He didn't go out hunting to find God's promises. God's promises came to him. Paul writes that Abraham and his offspring received the promise that he would be heir to the world, but through the righteousness that comes by faith. That is how God's promises came to Abraham. And that is how faith comes to us as believers. Remember the account of Abraham when he was by his tent and three visitors came to him, bringing a message. The message was that Abraham and his wife Sarah would have a son within the year. Abraham did not seek out these messengers to tell him that the Lord would bless him. Rather, the messengers came and found Abraham and told him God's promises for him. That is how faith works. Faith comes and tells us that we are saved. Faith came to Abraham, and he believed, and it was credited to him as righteousness. Verse 16 of our epistle says, Therefore, the promise comes by faith, so that it may be by grace and may be guaranteed to all Abraham's offspring. In faith, Abraham is the father of us all. We who are believers today are the spiritual offspring of Abraham. Descendants not by flesh and blood, but by the spirit of faith. That was the promise that God made to Abraham, that he was going to be the father of many nations. As verse 17 says, As it is written, I have made you a father of many nations. 
Abraham is our father in the sight of God, in whom he believed. Abraham believed in God, the one true God, the God who gives life to the dead and calls things that are not into existence. That is the God in whom Abraham believes, and that is the God in whom we believe. For Abraham and for us, God called forth things that did not exist and which seemed impossible, but they became possible because they were God's promises. Abraham believed, and it was credited to him as righteousness. And so then, we realize that the law cannot save us. Our works cannot save us. Only faith can save us. In this, we come to that second great teaching of Scripture, the Gospel that shows us our Savior through whom our sins are forgiven. By the law, we are shown our sin and reminded that by ourselves and on our own, we are lost and condemned creatures. But the Lord tells us by His grace that we are saved. Rather than being lost and condemned forever, you and I have an inheritance that is guaranteed. We have eternity. We have heaven as our home. We rejoice in those familiar words from Ephesians, for it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. So it is that we begin to see the miracle of God's grace. Just think for a moment how devastating and divisive it would be if we could somehow work out our own salvation. Working out our own salvation would mean that some would believe by their own efforts, and some wouldn't. Believers might then say, I believe, and you don't. Look at what I have done. And then we wouldn't care about unbelievers, because we would conclude that they just didn't care enough about their own salvation to try hard enough to save themselves. But it's not that way, is it? It is purely out of God's divine grace that we are saved. It is absolutely, positively not by us, but by God's design and plan and action that any of us are saved. Paul writes this in 2 Timothy, God has saved us and called us to a holy life, not because of anything we have done, but because of His own purpose and grace. This grace was given us in Christ Jesus before the beginning of time. So, even before we were born, the Lord had His plan for mankind. God wanted all people to be saved. The Lord had His grace planned for us as believers that we would be called out of darkness and into His light. God saves us by Christ's righteousness by His love, by His mercy, by His grace. It is a great blessing to know that our future is certain. It is a great blessing to know that while we may not be in control in this life, God always is. Our gracious God has prepared a place for us, for each and every one of us. He has guaranteed that inheritance for us. We might be tempted and sit back and put our feet up and say, well, we're saved. 
What more do we need? Let the rest fend for themselves. Now, we would be right in saying our inheritance is guaranteed. I need not work for it. Yet we know that that is not the whole story or fully correct. The Lord reminds us that around us, Satan is always still tempting us. There are the attractions of this world and our own sinful flesh that try to lead us astray down that wide and easy path of destruction. But instead of following that path, by His grace, our Lord continues to lead us in His Word and helps us grow in our faith. Even the Apostle Paul, who spent the last half of his adult life preaching the Gospel and and being beaten up for the sake of the name of Jesus, realized that he still had to strive to grow in his faith. In Philippians, Paul writes and reminds us, not that I have already obtained all this or have already been made perfect, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Can you picture yourself? Can you? Can you see yourself being grabbed by God out of the depths of hell so that you can inherit eternal life and continue to grow and press on in faith? That is where we are today. From today until the time that we will see God face to face, we still have the opportunity to grow in our Christian faith. We still have the privilege time and time again to hear God's Word, to read God's Word, and to study God's Word in order that we might begin to appreciate the great undeserved love that God has shown to us. A love and a message that we are to share with others. Today, the Lord says to us, your inheritance is guaranteed. Your spiritual welfare is a certainty. He has given us faith. He has given us His Holy Spirit as His seal, guaranteeing our deposit. It reminds us that He takes all of the responsibility out of our hands because we cannot earn that inheritance. Rather, we simply learn to appreciate that inheritance and to appreciate it and all of the work that Christ has accomplished on our behalf. Job describes it thus, He redeems my soul from going down to the pit, and I will live to enjoy the light. Our sins deserve eternal death. Yet God in His grace, mercy, and love gives us eternal life. He guarantees us an inheritance, not because of our sinfulness, and certainly not because of our own righteousness but because of the righteousness of Christ, our Savior. Our inheritance is guaranteed forever. Amen.